This is The Guardian. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, guys. I just wanted to let you know that this week's episode covers a lot. And we have some swearing and a reference to suicide. Do British chat shows know the art of a good conversation? All right, Jeff says he's here to confront a bad one-night stand. Hi. Hi, welcome to the show. Well, today, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I have to tell you, almost every day, we have a segment called Truth News, and almost every day on the show, we've been talking about Space World. He climbed up, and I said, what are you doing? You're listening to Pop Culture with me, Shantae Joseph, for The Guardian. Jerry Springer died, guys. He passed away last week. I saw while I was scrolling on Twitter and I was so shocked. The Jerry Springer show was extremely controversial, but he was a messy king that ran. So everything from wild reality TV to Jeremy Kyle could walk. But beyond Jerry Springer and American chat shows in general, it feels like there is something that they have that the Brits just can't replicate. So what is it? I caught up with friend of the show and pop culture expert Michael Hogan to talk about this. I, I want to start by painting a picture. When I was younger, me and my friends used to go into the assembly hall during lunch break at school, go on the stage, set up three chairs and one pretend mic, which was probably a pencil case. And we used to play Jerry Springer. We used to together come up with the scenarios that we would act out and we would throw chairs and we would scream. And it was always right across from where the the like teacher's, teacher's lounge was. And they would always come out and yell at us and tell us to stop. But it was just such an integral part of my life, Jerry Springer and the chaos. I feel like I can attribute some of my most chaotic qualities to watching that show and being like, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. But for you, why would you say that a show like Jerry Springer was so popular at its time. Well, I think it it, it changed the the landscape of, of of those sort of shows. I think we didn't really have those shows in the UK. We're sort mm-hmm. of a bit too polite and repressed for that kind of business. And Jerry Springer was the kind of the one that really broke through from the US. I mean, things like 
There was other U.S. imports like Donahoe and Ricky Lake was shown mm. over here. But Jerry Springer was the kind of the, the daddy of them all. Yeah. After he passed on Twitter, somebody made this thread of like the best moments on Jerry Springer. And the one that had me literally spinning on the floor laughing was when he had the like these KKK white supremacist members come and he just let the audience beat them up. This show, I just can't believe it is real. And I was like, wow, this is actually true allyship, right? <laughs> well, there are moments from Jerry Springer that like come to mind whenever you think of the show. I don't know why this has really stuck with me. Do you remember the man who lived in a box? If she doesn't come back to me, then um, you're my, you, I am your problem now. I'm going to sit here on this. <laughs> you know, he looked like the guy from Monty Python that crawls out of the sea. Or he... <laughs> wouldn't take this cardboard box off. He used to walk around with this cardboard box attached to him. And he went on the show to kind of plead with his wife to take him back. I can't believe it. And obviously, it. you know, <laughs> he was having none of it. Rightly so. Obviously, it wasn't kind of about controversy. There was a lot of violence. There was a lot of fighting. And I almost just feel like it. they just took the, the sort of like best parts of like the drama of people's life and like wrestling and like just turned it into a show. Do you think that kind of Jerry Jerry Springer helped to essentially just launch a whole new way of doing an interview or a chat show? I think it massively influenced reality TV for a start. You know, things like the Kardashians and yes. Towie and like that probably wouldn't exist without Jerry Springer. Yes. But at the same time, those shows have made everyone very self-aware and very they know what it's like to be on camera. They know what, what, you know, what the effect of those moments is going to be. So I don't think you'd get those unguarded moments anymore. It was kind of like making viral content before, before viral content was a thing. Yeah. It's really interesting because obviously we've kind of been speaking about Jerry Springer as this sort of like talk show, but I, I feel like the TV talk show has a lot of different formats and I don't know if they all come under the kind of banner of talk show. There's the kind of US sort of daytime talk show which is mainly more audience based and mm. with real people and that's where Jerry Springer and Ricky Lake and those sort of people would fit in and then there's the kind of the more straight chat show which we which we do well over here I think we don't we don't do talk shows those US talk shows very well but we do do chat shows well and so there's a tradition of you know Michael Parkinson and Graham Norton and Jonathan Ross people like that um, that do a sort of fairly straight interview show, you know, yeah. a bit playful around the edge, but they're pretty much celebrity interviews. Mm. And then there's the third category, which is those kind of US-style late-night talk shows that sort of Johnny Carson and David Letterman kind of invented. And there's loads of them now, obviously, but, you know, mainly hosted by people called Jimmy, that, that kind of have a little bit of a celebrity chat show, but kind of surround it with comedy features and open with a topical monologue. Here in the UK, the only one that we do and do well is the chat show i don't think we do late night talk shows well and i don't think we do shouty adversarial jerry springer shows very well no but what in terms of like the sort of chat show why is it that we don't do it as as well as the states because yeah the, america has like the late show jimmy kemmel ellen jimmy fallon drew barrymore like there's so there's so much like and and, and in terms of like the people who host it as well all, also very recognizable figures but in the uk i can't think of anything that competes at that level no i mean i think i think our industry our tv industry and our entertainment industry full stop isn't really set up for those shows here i don't think you know over there if you think about it you know it takes a lot of money and a lot of people to put on a nightly 
chat show like that you know yeah. we, we can do them we, we graham norton's on every week and kind of that, that's kind of enough mm. we haven't got that infrastructure that those big us studios have it's really expensive to do those shows and also we don't have hollywood on our doorstep so we, we don't mm. have that all of guests to you know a-list guests to sort of draw on quite so easily there was a time when i don't know if you remember when davina mccall tried one and lily allen and friends on bbc3 and michael mcintyre oh and good they just don't work here because one, we don't have the, the budget or the, the sort of behind-the-scenes talent to put on those things on. But also, you know, there's something really glamorous about David Letterman. Yeah. And there's something a lot less glamorous about Michael McIntyre <laughs> interviewing someone off Corrie. But that's the thing. It's so interesting. I always say this. Like, I feel like British celebrity feels too local. I feel like there's no allure of celebra- celebrity in the UK because everyone is literally just up the road from us and it was it was really funny as well because I remember seeing a like a post um online of somebody who posted like a b-reel and in the b-reel was like this kind of big famous like British footballer and he's just kind of like at some afters in a in a flat some high-rise flat and someone was saying it's so funny how in the UK it doesn't matter like how rich and and famous you are you're probably just going to end up at some afters with some random people in some high-rise building in London like everyone else because we there's it there's this sort of like leveling out thing of us all being so close and I wonder if because our celebrity doesn't feel as glam as the states that it's like these shows that don't slap as well yeah when our homegrown chat shows work well it's often with Hollywood stars though you know we, yes. we, often need, we need that star power you know most Graham Norton moments that you remember are the, and, and, and the, the great shows are when he's got Hollywood people on yeah. now June Brown oh, I'm exhausted already <laughs> Uh, yes. Now, are you familiar, Lady Gaga, with the EastEnders? No, don't say yes, darling. If you're not, you're not, and I don't blame you. <laughs> I am. I'm yes. A, I actually am a very big fan of yours. Aww. I just don't watch a lot of television. No, I don't watch any. <laughs> and also, um, and I think another difference is our new. We're, we're more newsy than Americans are on the whole. You know, you've got those sort of satirical late night shows like mm. John Oliver and Stuart and Stephen Colbert. A lot of people use those as like the primary news source. We don't, we don't, we don't need that because we're, you know, we're all up to speed with the news. You know, we don't do that kind of daily satire. We can do weekly satire. We can do a news for you, or we can do the last leg, I suppose is a bit like that, but we just don't have our, our news cycle is very different. And, and we don't have a, team of really well-paid writers writing kind of zingers yes that's so true do you feel like the quote-unquote chat show or the brilliant interview has now moved from daytime tv to some other area podcasting has been a very interesting space for interviews to take place like really interesting compelling interviews um and then of course on a lot of streamers now there are kind of shows on netflix which are just kind of straight up interviews with celebrities and that's kind of taken the place of 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 like the daytime or the nightly chat show. I think to an extent, yes. But I, I think that on the whole, I mean, it's, it's evolving all the time. But podcasts don't attract the high caliber, consistent guests that a big chat show does. Another thing that has changed the landscape for that kind of thing is the the they're called authored documentaries, celebrities doing documentaries about causes that are close to their hearts or about their health problems or about their mental health. Yeah. Increasingly become a huge genre in recent years, you know, from, you know, Katie Price doing them to Christine and Paddy McGuinness doing them about autism and Mm. Rio Ferdinand doing them about racism. And I think that that's kind of like a new genre that is almost like the celebrity interviewing themselves. 
they're fascinating and often they deliver those headline moments that a chat show used to. But I think increasingly chat shows have that in mind. You know, they, they want to do a little regular featurette that will go viral. And sometimes it'll be, you know, Miriam Margolis telling a really rude story on Graham Norton and shocking everyone. So I farted and... Um... Or sometimes it'll be Adele, you know, in a car. It was, that was the first time I was truly heartbroken. Because that's the way that they grow their audience. Because, you know, most a lot of the people who watch those clips won't ever watch the show in full. And I also wonder if, like, I guess just a lot of big celebrities being on social media, being on TikTok, being on Instagram Live, you know, giving us every single kind of moment of their day from what they're eating to what they're watching has kind of made these interviews less appealing because we kind of know everything about someone that we want to know because they volunteer it to us. I, th I think that, you know, that we get that access ourselves now. You know, we, we, we have access to Hollywood celebrities, you know, in the old days seeing them on David Letterman or on Terry Wogan mm. was the only time you'd see them. You know, if they've got something really juicy to, to tell, they'll probably tell it themselves on their own mm. channels and not, and not on someone else's vehicle. So, you know, you don't get those big revelatory moments anymore. Yeah. So, a lot, so I think a lot of chat shows do just now depend on charm and chemistry and humour. All right, now stop. We're going to take a minute because guys... I want to be loved out loud. If you're enjoying this podcast, then share it with the world. We do not gatekeep around here. Tell your friends, tell your foes and leave a review or subscribe. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back, everyone watching at home and my beautiful studio audience. Now, my next guest is a world-renowned journalist. Did you know she started her TV career in Australia? And she quickly rose up the ranks to become a British TV icon and talk show host. That's right. Welcome, Trisha Goddard. Airplane mode, okay. It was very technical, wasn't it? But let's bring it back down to earth for a second. The reason I want to talk to Trisha is because I cannot stop seeing those viral videos of Drew Barrymore's chat show. The way she gets up in people's business and really gets to the core of their story is exactly how I remember Trisha being. 
I'm so familiar with you, I guess, because obviously I'm from the UK. I grew up in the UK. Yeah. I'm a black Caribbean. My family's Caribbean. So you, you are a household name to us. Like we know you. So when did you transition across and become this, this face in, in the UK? So I was trained in news and current affairs. And I've always loved the stories behind the stories because that was the background I came from. I couldn't keep doing news and current affairs because it's a complete way of life. You know, I'd spent my pregnancy on on camp beds in the newsroom. I'd always been passionate about mental health because my youngest half-sister had schizophrenia. In 1988, she took her own life. I went back to the UK while she was dying. I came back passionate about mental health. I was advised not to talk about it. I did. Mm. I then had all celebrities who came out about their mental health did personal one-on-ones with me because they knew I'd understand. Wow. For you, I mean, considering that you've done, you've kind of done it all, you know production, like you know what it means to host and produce a show, you know every element of it. But in terms of being a chat show host, like what did you love most about that? I have what we call the Trisha question. Based on my mental health training, I have specific questions that seem unrelated. And I always get my um, researchers and producers to ask guests those questions. I'd ask them, for instance, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? And right at the end, and I make my producers ask them really casually, oh, these are just the Trisha could ask (laughs) these questions. What it did was give me the foundations upon which that person's experiences were built if that revealed for instance that they never felt safe I mean one question I've always asked people who've ever been incarcerated or and done anything uh, been accused of something when was that point in your life when you felt or witnessed something and you thought never again Mm. it's never that's I'm never going to let that happen to me that will tell you when that person decided to go into fight mode rather than having been in flight mode. Mm. So it gave me, gives me a, basically a foundation uh, that uh, how their belief system came to be. And how that helps me is it helps me in the way I talk to them to what I call skiing off piste, mm. which is... Yeah, uh, to where I should delve, where I shouldn't delve, where maybe there's an extra dimension of a story. It just, it gives me understanding of their story. I mean, you've obviously spoken to so many people and interviewed so many people on your show, but are there certain guests or individuals that you were most proud of speaking to or your absolute favourites? I can think of a group of really tough men had been in prison and it, this is on my US show and I just had a sense because I always say when guests sign a consent form I always ask how were they with it anyway just asking those questions I worked out pretty quickly that a lot of the criminal well we know a lot of criminalities because people don't have the basic skills of reading and writing Uh, but I use body language a lot where I sit whether I sit lower than the person higher than the person lean towards I use a lot of that and I worked out that these guys, it was because they couldn't read or write. And um, I gave them a challenge. I gave them lots of help. We set it up. And I asked them to come back on the show. And this big, tough guy came back on the show and I got him to read something. Oh, and that amazing. Was like, 
working with Nelson Mandela has got to be a high, which I did mm. in 19, uh, 1990 when he just came out of prison. Everyone goes, ooh, but he was a pariah. They wouldn't let him come to Britain. He was in Australia. I just had my baby, Billy, and he hadn't seen kids for 28 years or heard babies gurgle or cry. And he used to hold Billy and just sing to her. Oh and he wrote God. a lovely letter to her. I mean, she's now, now oh. 33. She's still got that better frame you know people go oh my god now but back then it was like Brynden won him he was like oh he's a criminal you know all that sort of thing but what struck me was that he had zero bitterness zero bitterness Billy was at that stage where she was breastfeeding and going everywhere and I was like I was this journalist and I was saying I'm so sorry I was working with him uh, he was doing concert uh, big fundraising concert and I was working with him to interview him on stage, all this sort of thing. And I was like, oh, I'm ever so sorry, Mr. Amanda. And he's like, no, and he just told her. Oh, my God. You know? It's so so interesting before when you were talking about the fact that when you were interviewing those, um, like, ex-prisoners and how body language was such a huge part of how you basically had those conversations so people felt safe and comfortable and I was thinking a lot about the Drew Barrymore show and I don't know if you've kind of seen anything about it or or watched it before but that is like it's and it's it's exploding online as like an incredibly popular chat show because she embodies and and uses those same techniques like she gets so close with these kind of celebrities that we know through like glitz and glamour or through their art and she has these very in-depth and moving conversations about them that also involve a lot of like personal kind of stories it involves a lot of like personal emotion and it's like yes we're seeing someone facilitate a conversation but we're also seeing a bit of them in it and it also made kind of the people feel more comfortable hi i mean you you're what are you doing you've been on this is what i do i'm weird you know me (laughs) drew barrymore's had a life she knows what suffering is about. She's mm-hmm. open, been open about it. She's talked about it. There are certain celebrities who've been humble and honest and not used their past as bragging rights, mm. but as learning tools and what have you. And Drew Barrymore was one of those people. So I'm not surprised that they reached out to her and I'm not surprised at the popularity of her show because you're right, things swing in pendulums. And at the moment, the pendulum swung to the right the conservative, the shutting down of feelings, the marginalization of people who don't fit into a certain box, you know. So when you bring that genuine warmth and that humanity and that understanding and empathy to talking with people, it's going to resonate. And for you, like... I want to know from your eye and from your perspective, like what, what makes a good conversation? Like what makes a good chat show? But even things that like beyond, I guess, the work that you've done, like when you're watching something, what really engages you? What does a host do or how do they format things to make it like something that everybody is like, wow, this is a brilliant interview? Listening interviewing in order to hear rather than to speak. Fortunately, there are a a lot of opinion dressed up as journalism, opinion dressed up as fact. When you use your opinion and, and state it as fact, when you're interviewing someone, you've lost. You don't get to wander the corridors and get lost and, and discover unopened doors and undiscovered rooms. 
you're never going to un- discover the undiscovered because you're immediately pigeonholing that person. Your questioning is going to come from your supposition of this is a situation rather than what is the situation. A good interview is listening with your mind, your body, and if you have one, your soul, Mm. (laughs) if you have one. When it comes to the States, I think a lot about kind of like even just from from Oprah to Sherry Shepard to Jada Pickett Smith, like all of these black women are covering areas within their own their own kind of interests or their own communities. There's room for the highbrow. There's room for the lowbrow. And I kind of feel like in the UK, there's that we don't have it like we had we had Trisha and then dead silent. Well, you know what they did? You know what they did? They closed down a lot of the regional television stations. You think about America, it's got, like Oprah started on what was basically a little regional network. I mean, we hired someone we call the Burger Boy as a producer. He was the guy flipping burgers at the late night, only late night eatery when all my producers finished at stupid hours in the evening. You can only do that with a regional station. You can't do that when you've got Manchester. London, not only London, it's Kensington. We, it's it's a little social demographic and everybody mixes with everybody else and they all go to the same waitrose. When we were in Norwich making my show, everybody was like, oh, you know, oh, I know a rural person. They, the stories they brought were different because they didn't all live in the same damn place <laughs> in the same part of the country and all go to the same waitrose. Because the people in London all know the language to speak and they've got the connections and they know this person's uncle or auntie yeah. working in the business. Ne- the Nepo babies. But it was rural stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate that it's not just based on how talented and how studious and how kind of like dedicated you are to the craft. It's so much other stuff that, that convolutes the process of you becoming someone who mm-hmm. will have a platform to do great work. Because I never really thought about how like like delocalizing basically so much of our news meant that we were cutting off different voices. I want to kind of end the interview by by flipping it on you. I I want to I want to put the the Trisha <laughs> question to you. Can you think of like the worst thing that's happened to you on TV and how did you overcome it? Often the worst things come with the best things. I think when I was introduced, ladies and gentlemen of the press, this is a new um, anchor person or front person for the 7.30 report. This was in Australia in 1988 when I became the first black person ever to front a show. I was like, whoa, blown away. And it was so exciting. It was, uh, I mean, I'd been a rank and file and a very good news and current affairs report and gone all over the country. Uh, But then I was sitting in the hot seat of the flagship news show live, 7.30 every single night. And then the racist stuff that came afterwards. And don't, mm. don't get me wrong. I mean, I'd faced racism before, but this was from a country. And when they offered me security because the network was frightened for my safety, when they said in those days people used to ring up and leave remarks on the answering machine and they said, don't listen to any of them. I was like, my life as being threatened because I'm just doing a job. That popped up a few times in my career, in the UK as well. The worst one was against my my kids. One Somebody had obviously, one of my kids, school. Not because of anything I'd said, but because I was black on TV. From They threaten you know, your and, children because you, you're black yeah, and on British TV. Yeah, that was one. And another one was when armed tactical response turned up at my house at 10 o'clock at night because it was a credible threat. So so those things from my having my life threatened 
purely, purely because I'm black, only because I'm black. And then when those things didn't come out because we didn't let them come out because mm. it just holds up a, a flag for other people too. But if you even mention that, you're told you're playing the race card. And 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 I'd say the other things are when I'm doing my show now on talk TV, um, sometimes we get people ringing up and sometimes there'll be, you know, you people. And I'll say, what do you mean you people? And I'll have a white producer saying in my ear, and it's, sorry, this is vex me. Cut the call, cut the call. Yeah. And I'm like, excuse my French. I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. Excuse my French. I am not cutting the call. I want to talk to this person. I want to find out where they're coming from. Because unless we do that, unless we make people listening hear the full shebang of where this person's hatred's coming from, if you just cut them dead, it feeds the monster. Trisha made me realise how much journalism and production is required to make these shows work. It also involves charm and wit. And maybe we just don't do these shows well because some of our most amazing talent feel run out because of racism. Or they're never given a shot because they're not from the South, London to be specific. I just don't want all of our best talent flocking to the States and leaving us with nothing. So TV execs, get it in gear. Sadly, the fun is over and we've reached the end of this week's episode, but we'll be back next week for more great chats. So don't you stress. This week's episode was produced by Hattie Moya and Lily Mae Simons. Sound design by Mal Seto. Original music by Axel Coutier. And the executive producer is Maz Eptaj. See you next Thursday. This is The Guardian. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.